Hello everybody, welcome to episode 3 of the World of Brick Films podcast. I am your host, William of AZW Studios. Raphael um, is not actually able to join with us today, so standing in for him is uh, Sean Willis of uh, City Penta. Hello. Yeah, welcome back to the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be back so soon. <laughs> yeah, uh, our um, special guest today is Chris Boyer of S- Sloth uh, Paladin. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Let's have some coffee. So uh, you've been uh, brick filming since uh, around 2000, is that right? Uh, I think 2002 is when I started. Right. So that's over 10 years. <laughs> over 15, maybe. I don't know. Maths. By now, yeah. How were you introduced to brick filming? Well, I hadn't ever heard of it before. Uh, it was, you know, pre-YouTube. Um, and I had always liked a Lego, but I had moved to a new town and... Uh, I met this guy because he saw I was reading a Star Wars book and he's like, hey, you want to hang out? You like Star Wars books? I like Star Wars books. And he introduced me to this other friend. There was this film festival thing for high schoolers. And um, he's like, hey, I know this guy is making a Lego movie that makes fun of Star Trek. Maybe we can uh, help him make that for this this festival. And we kind of joined up. And, you know, we had never done, or I had never done stop motion before, and then never done a, a Lego film, but, and I'd never really seen any, but we started doing that and I kind of took over the story. It wasn't, we didn't continue his, his Star Trek film, but that's how I got started. And I made a lot of films that was with Brian Bridges. Um, I made most of my early films with him. So, so, um, how did you sort of come across the brickfilms.com community uh we found it after we had finished our first movie and we were starting on our second one so it was a bit later i don't we just like we stumbled across it was like hey other people make lego movies and you know we kind of like oh man they they make lego movies maybe they'll like to watch our lego movie and uh, at the at the festival thing, it was all like local people, you know, and it was kind of a big deal to make movies back then because anyone who had a camera it was like most people didn't have cameras at all. And so everyone seeing an animated film in there, it was like super impressive to the, you know, other high schoolers. But when we showed our video to Brick, it was BrickFilms.com. Yeah. Um, uh, nobody was impressed because it was terrible. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh but we we were making a sequel yeah at that time and uh i think it had been a few years since we made the first one that would have been 2004 is that right yeah yeah like yeah 2004 sounds right so that's when i found so it was like two years after the first lego movie uh that we made which was attack of the legos i don't know if i said that but um I think we were actually looking for ways to to get better. So it was kind of a cool little thing to find. But also, we had been discovering, like previously, all the Lego films we had watched were like at lego.com because they had that that Lego set, the animation set. And we saw stuff like the, you know, the Monty Python Lego thing and like, well, we can't do that. It's, you know, professional. We're never going to do stuff like that. Um, But it was pretty interesting to meet a community of people and um, 
we started realizing that we could improve what we did. And uh, I think you can, our films got shorter and shorter, but they got better and better. <laughs> yeah. So um, what is your kind of step-by-step uh, -step process uh, when making a film? When it comes to like the planning, like writing and storyboarding and that kind of stuff. Um, well, lately I've been doing mostly work for other people. So I haven't been doing a lot of writing. My writing is, questionable at best uh the last script i wrote um which i really liked it was my best script ever uh i wrote after i finished um beyond the 11th dimension i wrote a script for this chicken movie it doesn't have a title um but i just sat down one night and pounded out a script in 45 minutes um and i don't think that i'm very good at writing <laughs> and i don't usually uh do some detailed storyboards, but I've been kind of changing my approach for like animation and planning and stuff like that uh, over the years that like it used to be, we just sat down and we're like, well, let's try to make sure that you can't see the room on camera, which would involve just putting up walls until, you know, that's how, it, how things started. But nowadays it's like, I will usually, I like to build sets in front of the camera. Like I, have a really good idea of like what lens I'm going to be using. Like I have a very particular like kind of shot idea in my mind and I kind of know what lens I want to, to capture that kind of shot. And I will end up building the sets around like how that lens is going to be positioned um, on frame. So that's kind of my, my build process is, is very focused on, on how it's going to look in the final film. So my, I don't have very clear plans for like sets themselves. I just want to make sure that it looks right on camera. So like at any time, like I sometimes like will build sets just, you know, by myself, or, you know, like away from a camera or something. And anytime I do that, it's like that requires huge changes. I'm like, oh, none of this works at all. Um, so that's kind of how I approach the um, like the initial like design of something. And then uh animation i've actually started to occasionally record uh reference live action reference for some of my animation stuff um even for some lego stuff which is something i've learned i've been going to uh school and learning uh character animation with cgi and maya but i've actually done some shots where i've recorded myself doing live action reference and translating that into lego and i think it helps make the animation way better so i haven't there's no finished product project i've done that's kind of shows that off though yeah i was actually hey i was hoping to ask about the chicken film because i remember all the animation tests and the uh, some of the pictures of the sets and it was looking really promising. So I was just wondering, is it still on the horizon or is it on the back burner at this stage? Well, I still have the sets. Um, right now I am taking care of my grandpa full time and going to school full time. And it's like a lot of kind of work to do those things. So I might be taking a break from school, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to work on the chicken film or not. I, I do think it's the best script I've written. I don't know if I've let a bunch of people read it, um, but it's it's one of those things. It's like, I don't know. Like, I would like to finish it one day, um, but 
it's it's really hard to say like my last film took me like four years to make so and there was a bunch of breaks in it so this one does not seem to be any different i had hoped when i wrote the script i'm like oh i'll make a really simple script and uh i guess the better i get at animation the harder everything becomes <laughs> that's yeah, unfortunately that's always the way with improving well i feel like when you start like the less you know about making movies the easier they are to make and right now it's like i almost want like i want like a crew of like five people to make this one minute film or something you know it's like i could use like a crew <laughs> at this point you know and like the more specialized you become i i feel like the more you want every area of your film to have a specialist involved and it, it just becomes really hard to just work on projects by yourself yeah i agree because i made a, a film with an original soundtrack and i had blue ghost doing the soundtrack so i could never have made anything as good myself and now i couldn't imagine going back to trying to do every role it feels like if you had one guy doing each different thing you could make such a better project yeah well i mean i find like the more that you kind of the more you like you hone your skills and the more you kind of learn you know when you're animating the longer it takes to even do the simplest things like you know walk cycles and that kind of thing just normal animation mm. um i think i find that like now it's like i i spend so much more time doing the small things that would have taken me like you know half an hour which now take me like a full like two hours you know and it's it's all about because you, you want it to look the best you can and yeah mm. it is it's uh each you know each time you learn more it, it does get take longer yeah um i remember i trying to remember the names of these filmmakers there's somebody that does a bunch of tests that have like extremely crude like camera work and stuff but i just love the way the animation works and it's almost like i wish i could you know be like directing their animation it's like just kidding or is that mr mingle yeah mr mingle yeah that's that's who it is and you know it's just like i, I just love like the animation they got and like they, they brought their animation to such a high level but like if they were working with somebody else like you know another director and a camera operator or something and like they were working with somebody's script they would bring so much life to the animation side of things and it's like you almost don't want that person to waste time getting good at you know camera and writing and, and stuff like that because the animation is just like that's that's clearly what they're interested in focusing on and focusing anywhere else for them is it seems like a waste of time almost yeah, that's actually a really good idea if Mr. Mingle could uh, join up with somebody else who's more into setting up the shots, because as far as I know, he's never actually made a, a film, only animation tests, and the animation is truly next level stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and and that's how you, like, when you go out and do, like, animation work, that's kind of how you work, because the... I guess the problem with learning stop motion is, is there's so many aspects. It's like, I don't know if you've ever gone and looked at the 11 second club online. Um, it's, they post a 11 second like dialogue clip and people animate it. And uh, you know, there's a winner every month or something. Uh, it's a pretty cool thing. Mostly it's CGI stuff, but you can submit any kind of animation um, there's been stop motion. I've seen some Lego stuff. Um, the Lego stuff usually doesn't do very well because there's even, you know, CGI like professionals competing in this stuff. 
but you know, it's there's a yeah, that's the focus on animation, you know, and you're you're not worried about like recording the dialogue. But I, I feel like I lost my train of thought there, but you know, there's you know, people focus on these like animation aspects and but when you post oh when you post a stop motion though you know people will comment on the lighting like you know cgi lighting and cgi for like test animation doesn't matter cuz it's just like you play blast it you don't even need to add lights to your scene but if your messed your lighting is messed up in a in an amateur stop motion people will that's the first thing people point out and so it's like you have to you have to learn because like a lot of people I feel like can't watch Mr. Mingle stuff because they're like, oh, like there's wires everywhere in the shot and the lighting is like flickery, you know, and, and there's like this barrier of entry. You can't just focus on animation. Most people can't in stop motion. You have to have a base set of skills before you start to focus on anything before people will like even watch your work, which is kind of sad. Um, but yeah. It's like a disadvantage. <laughs> well, see, I think one of the things I noticed, like with with when you know, with stop motion films, especially like brick films and stuff, when you've got one person doing everything, um, people start to notice technical aspects which they never even think about when it comes to live action stuff, stuff that's done by a professional team. Like you know, whenever I mean, whenever I watch something and people say, "Oh, the editing in this film is it doesn't look is not done very well," I can never really notice that, but you notice it in like brick films and things like that because you know it is done by one person it's not done by this massive team like with with live action blockbusters you know you expect you expect um, like things to be edited well you expect the lighting to be professionally done because you've got teams of thousands of people working on this whereas like with a stop motion film you've got you know quite often just one person working and having to do all these things so it's yeah. it's a really different kind of thing I think uh, like I've learned I learned a lot about how to look at um, technical aspects critically from watching brick films in, in ways that I would never have even sort of noticed in live action work. I think. Well, I feel like the the problems that individual you know filmmakers have stand out more because you know they have to learn so many things, so it's it's more obvious because we've seen good live action films but you can see a lot of that like if you go out and you watch b movies you can also like it's like well what is bad acting like you know if you don't really pay attention to acting and you just go watch most films you know most films have some kind of level of acceptable acting but then you go watch a b movie and you're like okay so this is when somebody has no training on the acting and what it what it can do to the film or oh this is what happens when a director doesn't know how to direct his film you know and you kind of can start experiencing these things and you know being part of like you know brick films is just largely like another kind of indie film thing and so there's a lot of people still learning all those stuff things and and you'll see those those problems just like you would in more amateur live action because you know i feel like a lot of people who watch brick films they don't watch other amateur movie type productions so it might be less obvious and they're like, why, why are these bad? And it, it's, or, you know, these aspects bad about a lot of these films. And it's like, well, have you watched a bunch of like, like superhero fan films or, you know, various things. And you'll, you'll find a lot of the same mistakes that, you know, brick filmers are making in those other projects as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely something I've got to really look into more like watching 
watching like actual films that are considered bad films because usually I I only really watch films that I want to talk, talk about like, live action films. I only really watch films that um, I like the look of. If I don't like the look of something, I won't usually watch it. But I kind of do feel like if I want to look at film more critically, I do kind of have to look at why a film is bad. You know, what makes it bad? What, you know, what, what could have been done to make it better? That kind of thing. And I think if you watch, if you gradually watch more and more films, you start to pick up on, on certain aspects. Yeah, it's like, you know, some of my inspiration was like bad films, which I think is really obvious if you've watched <laughs> you know my movies is um like plan nine from outer space was like a huge influence on me um and there's various stuff that is direct homage to that in multiple films um but i don't know there was something like there's there's this kind of like there's there's those bad films that people kind of make bad on purpose you know like um sharknado and whatnot or you know mega shark versus giant octopus and then there's like bad films that you know somewhere somewhere on that someone on that project thought that it was a good movie and it's kind of obvious that not everybody thinks it cuz sometimes you can see the actors they're like bored or like they don't understand what they're doing and but you can kind of feel like there's this passion that just doesn't understand the problems of the movie behind the scenes and to me that was that was pretty interesting i was is uh i don't know it just it really kind of sparked an interest, like watching like these bad movies kind of sparked an interest in filmmaking for me. Um, So. Well, yeah, I do think that, I mean, like, um, because a film that like a a really bad film like that, um, it's quite rare for a a bad film to be kind of done. It'd be interesting because um, these are like so bad, it's good films. They can't be made intentionally. it's yeah. only really interesting. It's only really interesting when the director or the people working on it think it actually, you know, there's a part of them actually think it's a good film. A prime example of that is probably um, Birdemic. I don't know if you've seen that, um, where you know they really do think you, there's there's a part of them that really do think that they're, they're making a good film, uh, and then they made uh, a sequel uh, about Birdemic Two a couple of years later, and you can really tell that they knew that people liked it uh, ironically. And it, it was so much less interesting. Mm, now it's inauthentic. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're making it bad on purpose rather than trying to make a good film. Well, that was kind of one of the things that I learned because um, in my early, it's like, well, I'm just kind of copying bad movies, and so I'm just, it's okay if it's bad. But I've kind of learned that you have to hold your your films like if, especially if you're making like weird bad B movies, you have to like really push for excellence um which is kind of like you know maybe where i got you know there's a lot of problems with beyond the 11th dimension but you know it's essentially just a really cheesy b movie um but like i had to push for excellence in every area i could to make it worth watching because if i didn't like believe in the film you know even though it's it's a really stupid kind of movie like i don't think it would work at all and Hopefully you can see that I was trying to to push for for like excellence in lighting and excellence in in various aspects of that, but because that is yeah. kind of what I've been doing is I've been making B movie homages almost exclusively. It seems like I mean it'd be very easy to kind of uh, like 
make things look crude and crudely animated, crudely, you know, like light it and stuff. And just think, oh yeah, it doesn't matter because I'm just making a B movie. But what you did with the Eleventh I mentioned is um, the Beyond Eleventh I mentioned is that you made it look professional. You made it look um, all the aspects of it look so good, and everything was done in such a professional way that it works. You know, it's it's like a it's it's a really well made film. And, it, and that's why it succeeds, yeah. Although I still kind of enjoy watching, oh, what is it? Um, Annie Frank and Bricks by, mm-hmm. uh, who was that? Um, Monty Films, which, which was like the Weird Ears copy. And I, I'm not exactly, I didn't pre-watch that or anything prior to this. I, I didn't expect to, to mention that. But like sometimes people like, succeed in capturing certain moods and i feel like that like the the capture of amateur filmmaking style and i don't know why it's so amusing i feel like maybe if i didn't know and have seen so many like bad brick films i wouldn't find it funny like i don't think i would just recommend it to a stranger to the medium you know it's one of those i don't know yeah you have to know the story behind it a bit but I do agree that Anne Frankenbricks is a great example of where it knows that it's not good, but at the same time, it's genuine. Like it's genuinely funny. I, I'm not sure how to describe it exactly what I'm what I'm saying, but it's not like it's not amused with itself just because it's bad. There's more to it than that. Yeah. But actually, that that. That's a good a good topic, actually. Is uh, are there any other brick films that any other B movie brick films or kind of quirky brick films that inspired you uh, or that caught your eye after you were making your own? Um, I want to say like one of the biggest things that kind of impacted me afterwards. I don't know if it was a B movie brick film. Um, was uh, was like the stuff Oblong was doing. Um, I really liked like he had this short twisted which was like the oh i think it's based on some movie i haven't seen that everybody's seen it's an an intro to a twisted sister music video yeah yeah um and but i really like was inspired by how he did the sets and i felt like that was like the first time i looked at a lego set and i'm like you know that's not a wall in front of a camera that looks like a little world you know and he also created like these these pillars on the wall, but they would they curved up so it like felt like there was an actual ceiling, and and that is something that still kind of affects the way I build sets today. Is I have this kind of contradictory set of rules for set building. I want when I'm inside a building, I always want um, stuff to go inward towards the center of the ceiling like pillars i want them to curve inward so that you kind of get a sense that like they're supporting the weight of the building above them and but outwards i always like my buildings to go like out from the ground like you know one of those european uh you know towns where the the alleyway it's bigger there's more space um at the bottom of the alley than at the top of the alley like it gets closer closer and closer together like the buildings overhang the street like i always like the buildings to kind of overhang everything uh, on the exteriors but on the interiors i want the the buildings to go the opposite way so it's like 
if you looked at a cutaway of a of a set I designed, it would have this giant V-shaped walls that get thicker the higher you go. So not very practical, but I, I don't know. Visually, it kind of works. And there's kind of that reason. I just want to kind of create this world that feels populated by stuff. I don't want to create something that looks like a set. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, I, I, one of the things I find really impressive by about um, Beyond the Eleventh Dimension is like the, uh, the city um, scene where you've got like the micro scale uh, city and it looks so vibrant. It looks so kind of like alive and real. And then, and then you see it like close up with all the um, pedestrians and the big scale buildings and it all looks really kind of like it is it's you know alive and people actually live there and i really find that really kind of um impressive really your the set design especially that kind of thing that was definitely the most technically impressive lego animation thing i ever did which was so much work i don't know if i'll ever do something again like that in lego there was something like 15 or 16 minifigures and i animated everybody in three passes i'm not sure if that was the best plan or not so I did three different sets of, I, I animated like five minifigs at a time because I just couldn't handle 15, you know. And then I, I stitched them all together in After Effects. And the special effects work, I think, was so much harder than the actual animation itself. Um, I, I think I spent a week on, on that five-second shot of just digitally stitching the three takes together. And it was, it was such a pain. Um, but yeah, no, I was very much, I really wanted to create a world for that movie. And that's something like, like minimum, I always try to have a window that has an outside, which I have lit and I have something. So you can see out of a window and you see, you know, the outside has its own lighting and it's, it, a prop even if it's just a tree or something i just want it to look like past that wall there's something more and occasionally i want to like show you you know which i guess is also something i tried to do in um the thack film that i didn't finish for thack the um subterranean that's what i'm calling it now so oh, yes. i just want like i want these particular scenes and i want the like the world to feel very expansive and go on forever it's my I, really, I mean goal. i really i really admire that because i i always, I always feel like uh it's so distracting when you see in a film and it, it can even be the case in like live action films when you see uh like uh like a chase scene or see a big scene that's set in a city and everywhere is just like dead there's no cars there's no people uh, the only things that seem to exist are the things that are relevant to the plot and you know it really doesn't it really just makes it a, a movie set it doesn't make it a, a place where people live it's not a, a city where other things are going on and and i really do appreciate that you know adding that detail to make something look like you know there's something beyond what you see i find that really i find that really interesting and i think it's it's a really good to add that detail yeah the thing about that movie was I was really trying to kind of capture, I had just watched Akira again, um, which I just like, I feel like if you watch Akira, I don't know if you've seen it, but the city feels so huge and so alive uh, in that movie. Like, like I think it's just one of like the best um, examples of like a city that just feels insanely alive. Another, another good example on that front 
like where a city just feels alive is like the the ghost in the shell movie um and i i just feel like you don't see that a lot in lego you don't see like this these huge places captured or seem like believable like i i know i've seen a ton of lego films especially back i want to say in like the mid 2000s when cg became more accessible there would be people who would have these cgi extension sets and i feel like it would just be tons of the exact same boring looking house um and, and you'd have a neighborhood full of you know 27 same houses or something and it just it looked so dead to me so mm, yeah <laughs> yeah the uh, the cg set extensions they really represent a, a moment in time in brick filming Nobody yeah. does that anymore, it seems. But actually, I have noticed that in your films, you tend towards the uh, the huge sets a lot more than most people. And really, the the city scene in Beyond the Eleventh Dimension it kind of reminded me of it was like a a full realization of the like I don't know are they cardboard buildings in a uh, True Love Waits and the Turkey film? They they are they're they're made out of cardboard and little pieces of wood because. <laughs> <laughs> I just I wanted the set to, city to be big, and honestly, I'd rather have cardboard buildings than the. I can't. I've seen people render Lego well, and I have no problem with CGI set extensions if they look good. But I I don't know if I've ever seen a good CGI set extension in a in a in a Lego film. What works really well for me for um, is I'll take multiple pictures of stuff and I will composite in multiple copies of things or backgrounds. Um, cause I would prefer to make a, like, or a miniature set and do force perspective, which is kind of what I did with the, I wanted an establishing shot of the city. Cause I don't feel like the city wouldn't feel huge if you didn't have that opening establishing shot of the miniature scale city. Like, it would like even though like that set was absurdly huge it's like four feet across so that's you know it's like 1.3 meters um and and so it's like this ridiculously huge set that's like you know larger than a small child um and but i still feel like it wouldn't work if you didn't have an establishing shot of the city in the beginning. And the only way to do that, of course, I thought was to make a miniature version of it. And so you establish, here's a city. Okay, here's three buildings. There's only three buildings in that shot. So, you know, three buildings doesn't really make a city. But if you've just cut away from this, you know, establishing shot that has, I think it has like, 12 buildings or something like there's not actually that much it's it's all lies like everything i do is just pure pure fraud which is kind of what i like about animation i think like establishing shots are so important it's it really well you know it shows you like you know, you're here now it's sort of like if you just cut to just the city like it take you take away that establishing shot in uh, beyond the, the, the dimension just head straight to the city it would lose a lot of that kind of feel that you know this is a real place um yeah it's just such a such an important part of it i mean i got to be honest i did actually um sort of steal uh, i don't know because they still like i i have taken a lot of inspiration from that establishing shot in the very first shot of my next film there's a shot and it's it's set in the city and you've got like that shot of like like a couple of skyscrapers yeah so yeah i definitely took inspiration 
um, from that, yeah. <laughs> I guess there aren't enough establishing shots in brick films because people, you know, they don't want to make a, an effective set for just a couple of seconds of footage. Yeah, that's one of the, the biggest problems with my um, Beyond the Eleven Dimension is there was something like 12 sets, which is a ton of sets for a six-minute movie. Like, that's, that's two sets a minute. Um, and, you know, when I wrote my script for my next movie, my Chicken Project, I was thinking, oh, this has two sets um because it's got it takes place in two interior shots and you know now that i'm looking at it you know i'm i realize oh there's no way i can shoot this without an establishing shot so i need a shot of a neighborhood you know and oh i need a like a shot that establishes this and it's just like i feel like i need these shots which is just you know this additional problem of of time and it's like this this thing the script i wrote that i hoped would be simple I feel like to tell the best story, it I need to like double the amount of sets it has, and I feel like a lot of people making their films, you know, they want to do that that one simple, like they they just want to make a a room set and have their film take place in that room, and that that kind of goes back to the the era where everything was inspired by Blunty, and it was just two guys in a couch on a room. Um, which it's not my favorite genre. That's <laughs> um, basically all I've been doing for 11 years. <laughs> I do like that you got some skeleton, the Jerry. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, in Parallel Panic, I did uh, have more sets, yeah. The most recent one. I, I don't know if I've seen all of those. I, I do remember watching the some of them, and there's like a lot more visual, visual comedy, because I, I feel like... That's that's something I have a I haven't watched a lot of brick films lately, so I've been very focused on uh, studying like full body mechanics and stuff uh, with CGI characters. But like a lot of my like I want stuff to be like snappier and funnier, and and kind of what I'm looking for when I'm looking to enjoy a brick film is I'm looking for like really fun snappy like kind of visual humor like i don't even really care about scripts like i i want the film to look fun to watch you know um yes. and so that's like one well, of i mean my... i think that's yeah. one of the things i really like about um benny and lee uh penta is like that whole like there's a lot of visual stuff that um you know kind of reoccurring uh in in the series like uh like that explosion and they just keep the stain there for years and years and don't bother cleaning it <laughs> And I like that bit, the the side, that bit of wall next to the door, which always seems to get always seems to get like destroyed. And then they sort of just, every time they fix it, it just breaks apart again. That kind of thing. Yeah, I just love that kind of. But, but yeah, I mean, most for for years it was it was all basic animation. But then in recent years, I have been doing a lot more snappy animation and uh, visual gags and props, all that sort of yeah. thing. And I think I've seen some of that era of Benny and Lee films, which I really enjoyed. Like, I remember, I think you made one for a Thack. Was it the same year that I made uh, the cyberpunk film? Yeah, I think so, because you have a, a brief appearance in that film. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Um, and so that was, like, one of my favorite films of that contest, actually, which those kind of two guys in a room makes... A lot of sense for the Thack style film. Like, I feel like the kind of films I want to make, I 
like I keep telling myself, oh, I'll, I'll do another Thack film, but I think it would turn into just another subterranean where I have a film idea that's way too ambitious and then I just can't make it in 24 hours and I'm getting older and I can't do all-nighters as well as I could, you know, 10 years ago. And it's just like, uh, there's there's not enough coffee and, and just not enough focus to to pull off a thack film <laughs> which i've always struggled with that i guess because you know even i can't even uh true love waits yeah uh another film with a terrible name but um <laughs> that film i don't know if you guys saw the original cut that was released for thack but it yeah, was half as long um of course you have Panta. you're <laughs> right archiving all this stuff i think i think i actually i reunited you with the original cut a while back yeah yeah you did i remember that um because i i just kind of wanted to see because it doesn't make any sense like and the thing is like the ideas that we had for that film is just there was no way we were going to get them done in one night and that was two people working on it like i i wasn't a one-man crew there was two of us and Brian, uh, we both animated, um, but he was doing all of the music because he wrote original music for a Thack film, which is you know pretty impressive. Um, I have several Thack films with original music he wrote that night, um, but uh, yeah, our ideas were just much too complex, and that's something we've always struggled with. We want to create a ridiculous film, but you know. It can be hard to make a, a 30 second film unless it's, you know, Dane Cook being killed because there's <laughs> already a formula. But then when you did A Night at the Pier, the, the set was built beforehand, isn't that right? The Everything that I've done in fact, the sets have built, been built beforehand. The sets in uh, Subterranean were built beforehand. I was just wondering when, uh, when Night at the Pier won first place, did anyone complain about that at the time? Uh, there's always. I've. I've feel like there was somebody complaining about it um but i made sure before because that's because uh, i've really wanted to create those worlds for a long time uh, that you see in um beyond the 11th dimension uh, it, it's kind of like the the final reincarnation of me trying to accomplish that um and night of the pier was meant to be shot in black and white like the there's mega blocks that have weird colors that were used um and and we knew i wouldn't like and that's not against the rules to use mega blocks that are weird colors but um i think they're ugly and i think most other brick filmers think that they're, they're ugly uh i'm one of the few one of the few brick films that does sneak in mega blocks uh, where i use mega blocks <laughs> in understructures all the time but i try to avoid showing them to people um, have you ever seen those those gray um like curvy bricks um, they actually look really nice for like our te architectural design. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those you see about early brick films actually, like ones in the mid two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Spastic Chihuahua. Uh, James Moore has used strategically used mega blocks in a lot of his films as well, which I like a lot of uh, James's stuff, and I like don't like a lot of his stuff, but. But he's like really trying to get that kind of visual humor that I really enjoy out of Brick films. Like I think he's got some of the funniest one-off films, and he's got some of the biggest groans in Brick films. It's just like, are are you serious? And then, oh man, this is genius. 
Um, and I'm so glad he's trying all kinds of stuff, even when it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but uh, Night of the Pier was actually one of the films that like taught me the most about animation just from one small shot, because there's a part when a guy gets shot and his hat flies up. And when I saw that, I thought, the hat flying up looks really good, and I don't know why. And when I went through it frame by frame, the hat just immediately springs to the top of its arc and just hangs there for a little bit before coming down. And like at the time when I saw this, I, I thought it was just like really genius. I, I, I never would have thought of it on my own. And I, I kind of copied that in uh, Horace and Horace's Day Out when there's a, a top hat that flies up into the air. And it just in one frame immediately goes to the top. I learned a lot from that. That's uh, going back to like the bouncing ball, which I feel like I should do more bouncing ball animation tests myself. But you kind of learn a lot about like you want things to hang at the top because that's when it's moving the slowest. That's like when either gravity is starting up or or finally, you know, fighting off the the thing. And so to get that energy to get up in the air, you have to be moving like at the fastest at the bottom of the jump. So even if it takes a couple frames, those frames need to have huge spaces. And I feel like a lot of people are they're in brick films, they're so focused on like say either ease ins and ease mm -hmm. ins and outs. And sometimes you need a you need to just bam, jump it up. I wish I could take credit for animating that shot, but I didn't actually animate that shot with a hat. It was Brian. Uh, <laughs> which he's now working in video and not doing animation anymore. But uh he still yeah. likes animation a lot, but um, yeah, that was it. Was a lot of fun working. I had I worked with him for years on films, and I think we both learned a lot from each other. I do think that discussion of animation and brick filming has kind of gotten bogged down by everyone mentioning ease in and ease out as like the be the be all end all. It's I I feel like some brick films are getting to the point where it's becoming uh, floaty, which floaty is a term you almost never hear for any kind of animation that's not CGI. Because CGI, it's really easy to get floaty animation. Because um, you just have the computer put too many keyframes in and then it just takes forever and nothing has any weight. Um, and I feel like uh, sometimes people, they need to know when a shot needs less frames. And, and sometimes you want to instantly start. Like if you're jumping, which I think is why everyone could benefit from doing ball bouncing animations, like to get them looking right, you want it to, you know, you want the ease ins and out at the top of the arc, but at the bottom of the arc where it's either taking off or coming down, those are, those are, have huge spacing. And so like those transition like big and fast. And if they don't, you're like, why isn't this working? Like, why doesn't my ball look like it's bouncing? And it's because, you know, gravity, it gets faster the further you go. And so you need to get faster at the bottom. And to overcome gravity, you need the most energy. And your energy is wearing off at the bottom of pushing off from that arc. And so, you know, ease-ins and ease-outs are, are, you know, a good, beautiful thing. But, but yeah. it's not the only thing. Yeah, of course, everything has its place, but unfortunately, it seems like people have gotten the impression that easing is the only thing worth doing for a while now. Which, you know, everyone could do themselves a favor and just go frame by frame through some uh, wily coyote animation and, and see you can do things in like four frames and it's going to look great. And that's at like I mean, 24. 
a lot of it depends on what kind of film you're trying to do. Are you trying to do a film which is more in a kind of serious live action kind of style? Or are you trying to make a cartoon? And if you want to make mm. a cartoon, you can't do the easing in and out and everything being smooth. You need to be more springy and, and fast. One of the best what? examples, I think, is probably the, um, what's it called? The Major Malfunction. Uh, I know you really yeah. like that one, Penta. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's basically the, the gold standard. I've probably said that before. But but yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, all the stuff I do is cartoony. So the basis of most of my animation is that concept of like snapping and then hanging at the top of the arc. But the thing is, cartoony animation is just kind of a caricature of real life. And, you know, even if you have a realistic bouncing ball, it doesn't ease into the jump up. It still has to go fast then slow at the top and then go fast downwards. And, and so you can just kind of push it a little bit to the extreme. You might be able to do it in less frames in a cartoony thing, but it still needs to have that kind of snappiness. If you're doing a realistic, like if, um, have you got, do you guys remember my, my little Dane cook film, Dane cook gets crushed by a one ton weight. Mm, yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a walk at the beginning, and I think it's a great example of a terrible walk cycle because um, it's too floaty. It's, it's, there's too many frames. And I feel like people are trying to, to do animation like that when they have like a realistic thing. And it's not bad because the rest of my short is cartoony. It's bad because it doesn't feel like Dan Cook has any weight in his, in his movement. Um, and, and I think you need to look at that. And it's like, you know, even if you're pushing for a realistic style, like you wouldn't want to walk like that, you know, even though it's really smooth. Like, I think it's a really smooth walk cycle, but it's like a, a not a very good walk cycle at all. Um, so um, one of the questions I want to ask is, um, because you've been working on this uh, CG animation class, what is it like, like working with such a different form of animation and, and how much has your experience in stop motion helped you go through the course? Um, I was able to skip the animation basics. Uh, so I, I'm i not sure that I should have, because <laughs> uh, it would have been like more bouncing balls and simplified animation stuff. I, I skipped that course because I had enough experience um, that they looked at you know some examples I did. They, they only wanted to see examples in CGI. Um, because also, if you're transitioning from like stop motion or 2D animation, they want to know that you can use Maya because you're going to have to. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it got me through like the that first class. I, I you know got to skip it. But there's a lot of stuff that like I can transition back into my stop motion experience from the stuff I've learned in class. But there's there's a lot of stuff you can easily ignore when you're just, especially just working in um, with Lego figures. Like you, you have like seven points of articulation. You don't have like hips and shoulders um, or feet. And so there's a lot of additional learning you have to do on that side of things. But once you do learn all of like, when you learn a fully complicated, you know, fully articulated, you know, humanoid figure, you can, you can scale that back and apply those new things you've learned about like weight, you know, and center of gravity to this little mini figure, which I think you can really see evidence if you like watch the Lego movie. Like 
I think almost everything done in the Lego movie, you could pretty close get it done in stop motion if you really wanted to. Um, but but you can see that they they're not like they don't have a background of just animating Lego figure. They're they're taking experience from okay, how do I take what I know about animating like a, a full-scale human to a scaled-down, uh, less articulated figure? So, um, Penta, um, have you got any questions you want to ask before we head over to the uh, Brick Film Showcase? Well, uh, I did, but I think I got them in earlier, all right. But yeah, I think we, we actually touched on that concept before um, when we were talking, when it was the episode when I was being interviewed, we touched on the concept of uh, the Lego movie animation, like, it's different to the way people make brick films because they would have had different backgrounds approaching it as animators. Which that kind of goes back to the thing where I say, uh, if you can get an opportunity, um, shoot some live action footage of something you want, like just a simple action. Um, if it's like sitting in a chair, entering a room or something. Um, I don't know if you saw, there's a clip from my chicken movie where uh, the character, he pokes his head in, and it's like this very cartoon-style shot. And then and then he comes into the room, and then he bounces like through the room and out the door. Um, it's it's actually one of my favorite shots. But I shot, like, and it's, it's one of the most cartoony things I've ever shot, but I also shot live-action reference to make that film or to make that shot. And I think it's really worth it you, if you can think about you know, how how can I animate this in a way that I don't expect? And if you shoot live action footage, you'll think of things that you wouldn't necessarily think of if you're just approaching it. I have a minifigure and the minifigure has these animation rules I have to follow, you know, so you're, you're just going to get ideas that you wouldn't get otherwise. I bet you there was people on the Lego movie who shot reference, like live action reference of them doing weird stuff that ended up in the movie and you see that and you're like, wow, that looks genius. How, why would somebody ever think to animate a, a Lego man like that? And maybe they looked at something that was not a Lego man and kind of tried to copy it. It's a little, you know, so. Yeah, it's a great idea. And I'd imagine not many people do that in brick filming at all. I've never seen it uh, proof that anybody has done it except for me. But I, I hope more people try it. It's, it's really fun, even if it's just an exercise. Okay, so... I think we can head over to the uh, Brick Film Showcase now. Are you okay with that, guys? Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. So um, my pick is um, Remake uh, by uh, Mirko Hortzman. It's uh, a German 2008 film about a man who receives um, inf uh, inspiration from watching a silent era movie. The story is very sweet and uh, um, a sort of sweet sort of love story of sorts and just something I feel like everybody should watch, really. Um it came first place in the jury prize at the 2008 uh, Steinway and is regarded as a classic by a lot of people. Um, but somehow in recent years, it has kind of sort of gone into obscurity a little bit. And um, when I was looking for like films, uh, you know, to, to pick for, for this episode of the uh, podcast. And when I looked upon you know, the, the view, uh, the view count, I was really surprised how low it was. So, I kind of knew that I had to talk about this because uh, it's a book film I pretty much loved from the very first time I saw it, really. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I think uh, the animation um, in the, with the silent movie is um, really inspired. I, I think I, it, I saw a behind-the-scenes video and you can see that he used um, 
early experimental uh, motion picture work from the 1800s as um, a reference. Um, and I find that just really interesting. And um, I think it's also just one of those films that uh, has such a great score. Um, the classical piece he used for the film really flows just perfectly with the pacing and what you're seeing. Um, and uh, it just feels like it was just like made for the film, pretty much. Um, and yeah, I just, I just, I just really love this film. It's just, yeah, it's great. Uh, what do you guys think of it then? I, I imagine that you've seen it quite a few times. Yeah, I've, I've kind of, oh uh, yeah, I, I was saying to you that uh, I, I sort of take it for granted. Like I, I hadn't even thought about how people nowadays wouldn't really know this film because uh, I would have seen it way back when it was when it won Stein Array. But um, yeah, I really like the uh, the animation with the bricks. Uh, on the you know on the surface, and I think there's a lot of good experimentation like that in a, especially among German brick films for a while. I like I was like looking at the um, I because I think I saw it years ago and I haven't thought about it since until you mentioned it and so I rewatched it and what it has in this two D like um, like the the experimental animation. Um, and it's got these like really great lines of action throughout the film, which you don't see a lot in brick films. Like Lego characters aren't super poseable um, in like this really dynamic, but you get these these really interesting arcs throughout the uh, the silent characters because they're just composed of individual you know parts, kind of you know set on a table. And in normal animation, like bad animation has really boring like like all the lines of the characters they're straight up and down like you know you go watch family guy everyone stands straight up and down they move in this very like kind of robotic fashion and it's just like oh i'm gonna you know there's no arcs and if you go watch another thing like you know samurai jack or something you see it's like everybody's standing you know they're holding these arcs and there's like every pose feels dynamic even if it's a still frame and a lot of the, these poses that they have in the silent parts, they have these great lines running through them that just like it kind of draws your eyes across. It's like, oh, this guy's pointing his sword and his back is is arched a little bit. And, um, and it just kind of points towards the neck character coming from the other side of the screen. And it, it's, it's really good in a way that you don't see a lot of Lego films that get good strong examples of things like line of action so i don't know that was that was like the first thing i noticed re-watching it that's an interesting observation about the film that i wouldn't have thought about well it's it's something that's kind of been drilled into my head in the cg classes uh, so <laughs> i that's a my perspective is always constantly shifting i guess so uh but penta um what is your pick uh, I picked a film called The Afterlife Experience by Filmy Guy, uh, which was a an entry to a contest on Bricks in Motion in 2010 called the Avant Garde Contest. And I was surprised when I was making the wiki page on the Avant Garde Contest, I was surprised to see that this film didn't even make the top 10. And then uh, it also has a, a low view count on YouTube, especially for a brick filmer who's well known. And it's a yeah. It's it's less of a less of a film that everybody uh, would would enjoy, but it's pretty experimental, I guess. Um, you can see that he was you know thinking about things while making it. It's got more 
more thought put into some of the technical aspects than the other stuff he's making at the time. Um, not everything works in the film, especially some of the uh, effects towards the end, but yeah, it was pretty interesting and I'm surprised that I've never heard it mentioned since. Yeah, I, I do actually, I actually really liked it. Um, yeah, see, I'd, I'd never really heard of it before. And um, yeah, it's uh, really impressive. It, it does actually, um, story-wise, remind me quite a lot of the uh, last year's summer contest winner, uh, Quest for Life. Uh, but sort of quite a, a lot of a, quite a darker kind of um, version of that kind of story. And um, yeah, I, I really like the animation and the, the camera movement, especially. I think it flows really well and uh, yeah, it's really nicely paced. Um, the only criticism is I think there are some special effects that, um, that do look very kind of, I don't know if they work quite that well, but when, when you know it's been, it's been done in 48 hours. Yeah. I was going to mention it was made in a short amount of time and uh, yeah but you mentioned the pacing and that was one of the things I found interesting about it was there's that like extended breakfast scene at the start of the film and I thought it was really unusual for a break film and I'm not sure if I like it or not but it was definitely uh, interesting yeah well actually um, I was looking at the comments and that was like um, one of the criticisms that, that it got um, was that kind of ex- kind of extended uh morning scene which doesn't really show you too much really i mean i guess it kind of sets up the character and he's just kind of having like a normal day but yeah it's kind of got a kind of slow pace at start but when the actual when the actual plot kind of sort of starts it kind of the pacing is pretty much perfect well i was just i just found it unusual to see such a like sort of slice of life type of scene in a brick film uh and it's it's all it's it's nice nicely animated at least even if you don't like it because there's a um, uh, some scenes in that slice of life that I really enjoy. Where I was talking earlier about like you know more animation can be snappy, and this is almost kind of like that's a, a kind of realistically shot stuff. But I think they got he has like a lot of little fun things like the way people sit down, um, and like he doesn't waste frames. It's like boom four frames or something for sitting down and it's like this this clean snappy action that's more entertaining to watch than like if somebody tried to make a really smooth ease down into the chair you know um and there's like a lot of little animation like that in this film where there's like a little motion that's it's not a very important motion but like he adds a little bit of snap to it to make it more fun to watch and i think it's you can see evidence of that all throughout the film and you know it's easier to look at like the action stuff um but you know even in some of that early early stuff when he like gets up it's just like there's shots and he's just not he's not wasting frames on on smoothness and it's it makes the film or at least the animation side better which is it is he working for stupid studios or whatever that yeah yeah i I feel like his experience with them i'm not sure if he had started back then because he works with um forest fire right that's right yeah yeah and and i know they started working with uh stupid brothers or whatever um at some point i'm not sure if he had moved on to that at that point or not but i i feel like you know it's it's kind of there's evidence of of that talent why he was you know working with a studio like that or or stuff he's learned from that that studio it kind of shows up in the film in little ways yeah i feel like he's one of the uh the best technical animators that we've seen 
like top five ever through from brick filming so it's no surprise that he's gone on to professional animation studios yeah like it's, it's some there's just a lot of really good stuff and a lot of it is just that little stuff um because like there's a lot of at the end i would say a lot of the problems that bother me at the end it's like the there's some bad effects and that to me is less problematic but i think going back to establishing shots there's some stuff at the very end where it's just like the camera is so close to like him and the rock as he's trying to cover up this hole that you kind of have to watch it a couple times to kind of visually understand what's going on because it, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle visually and it just needs like a few more wide shots i feel like to kind of establish the whole layout of this scene because like where is this hole in the ground to where this rock is is in the ground and because it just like it's like close up you know he's pushing a rock you know close up he comes out of a hole and you know it's just it it's a little confusing because there's too many close-ups i think but you know probably part of the problem with the time constraint he's like i can't build this set mm. so here we go close-ups so um chris what what did you pick uh a quack in time so i really like a quack in time i think i can't take lego films very seriously i know some people can and I can take Lego films more seriously than people that aren't necessarily involved in the scene. Um, but I don't think it lends itself well to that. Um, it's, you know, probably pretty obvious in my own films, but you know, I, I want, I want to see worlds, but I want to see ridiculous worlds. And, and I think that's something that a quack in time captures for me is it's got this, this whole absurd logic to it that that flows and works really well it also has some pretty fun visual stuff that um that i think is uh really entertaining to me like he'll approach different shots and it's like okay so we have our our character not harrison ford i can't remember it, what the the name was i think it was harrison yeah it, it was yeah harrison but they didn't say harrison ford that's okay but he like is leaving an elevator to check for guards and then he like slithers out of the elevator like a snake and and it's just like <laughs> the absurdity and the unexpectedness of that it just it just makes me laugh and i feel like you don't get a lot of that kind of unexpected comedy and it's it's not a joke that was really like written it's a joke that visually plays out and i think that that's that's just like a and it looks like it was probably inspired by uh by james moore um i don't know how well that records but just a lot of s's uh which i think is a great film i love it it's one of my favorite thack films ever made um but it's just like the visual comedy of a, of a lego character slithering around on the ground like a snake and it just like happens it's just like boom instant guy on the ground just slithers around pops up um there's a lot of fun stuff like that in there that i really like i, I there was a i really like the comedy um the visual and i just think the whole just like i think the writing as well is just really funny i think that uh, the whole idea of like just an evil duck and that kind of stuff it, it just i could when i watched it i could definitely see um why it would appeal to you because like, i definitely <laughs> kind of see a lot of stuff that you kind of like and <laughs> yeah i don't like the you know i i don't feel like you can really make an overbearing villain in lego 
seem like totally evil. Like you're not going to get somebody like Maleficent or something from Sleeping Beauty like to read the same way in Lego. Like there, it's you can't kind of like oh man that person's really evil in this this animation. Like I I can't be convinced by that. But like an evil duck like this is like is is just you kind of blindside him with a the comedy aspect which is kind of exactly what I did in Beyond with I had an evil carp so. I, I guess I like evil animal themed villains, but yeah, I feel like on the writing side, a lot of the writing is really funny, but I feel like there's a little bit too much. Like, like I feel like you could cut down on some of the dialogue and just make it a little bit snappier. And that's, that's my biggest complaint, which is a minor complaint because I think it's pretty fun, pretty engaging, but I feel like a lot of brick films suffer from too much dialogue because dialogue I think is really easy to animate usually, or it's animated in a very lazy style anyways, and which is easy to do. And um, sometimes like some of the jokes don't work. Most of them do, which is good. But, you know, sometimes I'm just like, eh, you know, I think it would have been stronger without than with. I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Penta, but. Yeah, I do agree that uh, I, I wouldn't say every joke lands uh, for me. Uh, yeah, I guess you could cut down some of the dialogue, and uh, yeah, th- th- where the film is best is when it's it's moving and when there's a lot going on, more so than the dialogue. I'd say. Yeah, because like there's some really funny moments in the beginning when he meets him, and then it kind of drags a little bit there as well, and it's like that. It like there's a lot of funny stuff, like like the whole uh, I want to say he's talking about how his cat's in his dishwasher and he needs to go. And it's like, that's kind of a funny line, but I think the film might have been better if it was like the whole cat in the dishwasher thing was just cut out because um, it would just help the scene move a lot faster. And it, it takes like, there's some stuff like, like, and I think like that's reasonably humorous. It's not like a completely failed joke, but I think sometimes even if it's only like moderately working, it, you know, sometimes pacing is more important than that quantity of jokes so so i don't know maybe maybe the the cat in the dishwasher was your favorite joke for both of you so well actually it's that that was one of my least favorite actually (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm glad i'm not the only one that like look at that like i i think that like on paper that sounds really funny but it it like yeah it just drags like like at that point in the film i feel like it's just kind of really dragging and like like you said, when the film is moving, it's at its best, and like that's so true. So yeah, I feel like the most memorable scene is the uh, infiltration. Yeah, because then yeah. you've got the the jokes like the snake slither, yeah, which is really funny, um, and and just like the various things, and you know, you can even get away with like the password jokes, which aren't super funny, but it, it it's important to the scene and it's helping it move forward. It's like, oh yeah, they don't have secure pa- like if he had to crack passwords and stuff, that would be terrible like just imagine if there was a you know a 15 second hacking sequence in the middle of that it would just ruin that entire entire thing yeah i, I kind of feel like we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the the flaws of the films we picked so i think it, it would just be worth mentioning that yeah we picked the films because we like them <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah i d- i do think i was <laughs> I think I mentioned that, but it was like so brief. 
Although I, I feel like I said a lot of good things about life. Well, I guess everything I said that was positive was there was always this negative. I would like mention something good and then say something bad. But I do like these films. Um, they're all very good. Yeah, it was just it was feeling a bit negative there. So I think it's a, I think it's worth just the reminder that yeah, these are good films. Recommended. No film is is perfect, but you know you're always going to find these kind of flaws. But um, yeah, these these films overall uh, they're all great. Yeah, I think yeah yeah I really I really like all of them really yeah. Well, I think one of the things is like at now at my stage because I've been doing this for a long time and and I I get better by looking at stuff critically, which I I think I've mentioned a few things I don't like about my own films, although. Maybe I wasn't as negative on my own films, but um, but I'm looking at everything with a really critical eye after all these years. To, it's like, because how can I get better? Because there's there's really like you could never stop getting better, and so sometimes well, no, I, I, mean, I kind of I kind of feel the same way. I mean, in in a, in a long in a, in a big way, I do I do kind of feel like I do, I can't enjoy a film in quite the same way if I can't find its flaws and you know talk about that a little bit because if I find a film that's perfect. I find it really hard to talk about because what do I talk about? You know, to say everything's great or yeah, I like to be able to watch all these different films and be able to to pick up on on certain flaws and stuff. And I can still appreciate those films, but I can go in more in depth and talk about them more really by being able to to point out these things. Yeah, I suppose there is more to talk about there. Yeah, but at the same time, we did of course talk about why we like the films. So yeah. So, so yeah, definitely would recommend checking out all of them if you haven't ever seen them. Which, I feel like Quack and Time, yeah, I didn't get a lot of talk. Because I think we all talked about how little some of these films were seen. So, But not quite. I was super surprised that Remake has under a thousand views. That's that's the lowest. Yeah. That's just crazy. Yeah, I really see that, yeah. Especially being a winner of uh, Steinway and stuff. But... But when you look at the uh, when it was uploaded, it said it was uploaded in 2012. So I don't know if it was a re-upload or if originally it wasn't uploaded or something. Well, it would have been originally offered as a direct file download, I guess. Yeah, probably. Because even though it, even though it was during the YouTube era, you know, Mirko was going back a few years, so he would still be offering the downloads since that's the way he'd always been doing it since 04. Well, I remember like that's when I was doing. I remember when YouTube appeared, and it was just. I hated it. I thought that everything uploaded on YouTube looked terrible. Um, and so I res was very resistant to upload my films to YouTube because it was just, it was not a very good platform at the time. Yeah, I remember even into 2009, we were still offering direct file downloads and Vimeo <laughs> uploads as well. Yeah. Yeah, to be, to be honest, I mean, if I was around during the kind of, you know, the start of YouTube, I would kind of think to myself, like, do I really care? I just want to, I want to, I just want to share them with the community. I don't really need to, to show it in, in this, like this new platform. I would feel that way. Um, until you really see what it ends up being like. And, you know, I don't imagine, yeah, I, mean, I imagine a lot of people were like that. Well, That's... my YouTube is still kind of like, people don't see it because they discover my YouTube. Like I am, I don't upload frequently enough to get like shown in search results or whatever. And so it's, it's basically just still a sharing platform. And I almost may as well have a direct download at this point because so few people watch my videos apart from my, my lens video. 
people seem to really like that. So yeah, I know. Cause some people really have taken advantage of the platform and it, it kind of shows they get the, those big audiences. Um, you know, like mind game, I want to say was really successful along with Nathan Wells, like getting started on the platform and be, being in the right spot and being prolific enough to make it work for a while. So, yeah. I mean, I think that pretty much, I think we've pretty much like, uh, can sort of wrap up this episode now. I think we've managed to, uh, talk about a lot of good things. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think it's about the right time. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thank you guys for, for being on the show with me. It's, uh, been great having you with, with me. Uh, you know, you can, uh, find again, we'll probably be doing next episode in a, another couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, you can find me on, on social media, um, at, uh, AW studios, uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and obviously YouTube as well. Uh, Penta, where can I find you? Silly Penta on YouTube and Twitter. And uh, of course, thanks for having me on again. And it, just let me know if you ever need a, if you ever need me to fill in again. I'd be happy to do it. Awesome. Uh, and uh, Chris, uh, where can I find you? I am like at robotswknives on Twitter, and that has a link to my YouTube, which is just uh, uh, I don't know what my YouTube. My YouTube is robots with knives, but it's difficult to find. Or you can just click the link on my Twitter about. I should say my website. So yeah, or no, it doesn't. I have to fix that. <laughs> <laughs> There's I, I am robots with knives on Twitter. I mean on YouTube somewhere. Um and it's robots w knives at on Twitter. So hopefully the link will be there by the time this yeah. episode goes yeah. up. And one quick thing I wanted to um point out before we wrap we wrap up. Uh, a couple of uh, days ago, um someone pointed out to me that the uh, Star Wars The Great Disturbance wasn't available on the uh Brick from Archive. Well, um we, it was it was actually removed because of copyright. Um, so Pento has uh, actually uploaded it onto Vimeo, so it c it can now be seen. Okay, I was wondering when Google was gonna start enforcing copyright laws on like the sharing side of things. Yeah, Google Drive. Yeah, I was hosting it in Google Drive, and I didn't know that they were gonna start cracking down on copyright there. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully, you have them archived on hard drives, though, right? Yeah, got multiple backups. That's that's always good. Because there's definitely stuff that was only available on YouTube that I like can't get anymore because audio was killed. That was like, oh, like I liked that film and I liked that illegal music they used to make it. <laughs> yeah, well, it was uh, it was a lot of fun to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.